Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. I'm going to be honest, this message is not your typical Advent or Christmas time message. So, let's start by praying. Praying that the Holy Spirit reveals something to all of us, myself included, through His Word. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we come before you uh, and just ask humbly that you would speak through your Word. Lord, that you um, would help this message to come across in a helpful, not hurtful way. Lord, would, would it be your words, not mine? Lord, if there's anything in here that you would just that you don't want to be communicated, I pray that you would cut it out. Lord, and if there's uh, something that's not in here that you want me to say, I pray that you would just do that. Lord, we, um, we know that your grace and your mercy in our lives is something that we should never take for granted, and I pray that we get to learn about that today. We ask all this in your name. Amen. So in this Advent message series, we've been setting up Jesus, the one eternal King how and why he came. Because for us, he's the king who's come. And, but all throughout the Old Testament, Israel was searching, looking, and in desperate need of Jesus. So two weeks ago, Chris taught about the Israelites wanting a king. They wanted one so bad, and all they had were prophets and priests. And they wanted to look like the other nations around them. They wanted to have a king. They wanted a king that would lead them in strength and military power. But what they got instead were a whole host of issues that came along with that. Then last week, Chris shared about David and how he was probably the best king Israel ever had as a nation. And yet he was still a murderer, a liar, an adulterer, and a man with great sin. But he continually kept his focus on God and kept repenting and turning to him. And as we will see today, he became the standard for all kings to follow. The people of Israel eventually started evaluating all of their other kings past David by the measure of David. They would ask, well, is this current king like David? Oh, he's not? No? Oh, well, I guess we'll try again in 20 years. Today, God has us in 1 Kings and Jeremiah in Scripture. We'll be jumping around a bit. So if you need a Bible, you can download our app. And it'll have all these scriptures um, just at the click of a button that you can easily jump around with me as we're reading scripture this morning. So let's start in 1 Kings 3. Solomon is having a conversation with God. Solomon, David's son, who's now the new king. It says, Now, Lord, you've made your servant king in the place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not, how to care, do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but the discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart. So 
that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep the decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. David, the greatest king that had ever lived, um, who had ever lived in Israel, and that Israel probably will ever have, and now Solomon, his son, was filling his shoes. They were big shoes to fill. Solomon, rightfully so, was feeling nervous to take on this legacy, and his response was out of humility. Look at how he asked God to bless him because of his humility and what he's asking for. God gives him exactly what he asked for. And God is a righteous God, and he gives him even more than what he asked for. And God is a God of abundance. Look at what he says here um, as well, though. He also says, if you walk in obedience with me and keep the decrees and commands as David, your father, did, I will give you a long life. Spoiler alert, Solomon didn't hold up this end of the bargain that God had asked him to do. So let's jump forward to Kings 1, 11. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. There were, they um, were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to love, to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Skipping ahead to verse 9, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice because he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods. Solomon did not keep the Lord's command, so the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Wow. So this guy, who we just saw, was asking for wisdom to start his kingship. Already, now, a couple chapters later, is living a life separate from God. And I'm blown away by God's grace here. God made a promise to David, then to Solomon. And even though they both sinned and turned from God at various points, God was still gracious to hold up his end of the deal. He still let Solomon reign as a king for a full 40 years, just like his father David, even though he was living a sinful lifestyle. But man, Solomon, how did he turn so drastically? Just a couple of chapters earlier in this book, we read about him having humility and coming to God for help so that he can be the best king he could be. He was set up to be even better than David. So what happened? Well, he lost his focus. God gave him exactly what he asked for. Actually, he gave him even more than what he asked for. And he became the wisest man to ever live, the richest man, and the one with all of God's favor. And what does he do with all that? He marries woman after woman after woman. I mean, a thousand women? Talk about an awkward family Christmas. Uh, that would be a mess. On top of that, he then worshipped 
false made-up gods that these women had told him about. He completely lost his focus on God. Instead, he focused on himself, and he lost who he was. And we can be just like Solomon. Probably not the thousand wives part, but we are susceptible to losing our focus on God all the time. It can happen in the most sneaky of ways too. Maybe just like Solomon, you begin praying for something great. A promotion at work, for God to bring you a spouse, for God to provide you with a child, for, or for a great community. <clears throat> and God sees your heart, and he's excited to give you that thing so you can glorify him and draw closer to him. And maybe you get that thing. Maybe God provides you with that. And you get so excited that he provided for you. But then a couple days go by, reality begins to set in, and you start getting nervous about the new position, the new relationship, or the new baby. Instead of praying about it like you had done, you start Googling for all the answers. You start getting stressed. The next thing you know, you feel alone, and you feel like you have no idea what to do. You start to focus on yourself, and you start to focus on how you feel. And that stress then causes you to try to escape. You scroll on social media. You aren't as focused as you could be. You become apathetic. You start to think about other things. And the world tells you that you should focus on yourself more. If you're stressed, just cut some things out of your life. Stop hanging out with other people and just focus on you. And then you forget about God and God's right here the whole time. Here you are, you're looking down at yourself and you start digging this hole of stress. You start self-loathing and you focus on this self-care that the world tells you to. But God's right here with his hands stretched out and you're just so focused on yourself that you forget that God is right here with you, ready to carry you through this tough time. And yet, we get so focused on ourselves and so stressed about our worries and here we are looking down that there's no longer any room for God in our heart or our mind. And like Solomon, we fill it with other things. He filled it with women, with other gods and riches. Maybe you fill it with a side hustle. Maybe you work even more. Maybe you start to fill it with running away from your problems. You fill it with social media instead or pornography. And God's still right here, holding his hands wide open, ready to do this with you because he was the one who provided for you, for you in the first place. So what do we do? You gotta keep your focus on God. You see how our focus can change so much in our lives, just like Solomon. How our focus changes our perception of reality. There's a story, you've probably heard it, but I thought it was really helpful to paint this picture even further. The story goes like this. There's a farmer in a village who has a son and a horse. One day, the horse runs away. Everyone in the village comes up to him and says, ah, oh, what terrible luck. Your horse has run away. And the farmer replies, maybe. A couple days go past and the horse comes back with a few mares with it. And everyone tells the farmer, wow, what great luck. Your horse came back and it brought even more horses. He replies, maybe. Later that same week, his son is trying to train one of the new horses and he falls off and breaks his leg. The villagers cry, what terrible luck, your son has broken his leg. The farmer simply replies, maybe. A few weeks later, a group of soldiers come through the village 
taking any able-bodied boys for their army. Because the farmer's son had broken his leg, they don't end up taking him. And the friends of the farmer say, what tremendous luck, your son was not taken to war. And the farmer simply replied, maybe. The moral of this story is that God can do anything with a bad situation. Our focus can change a lot. The farmer didn't focus on the act that had happened. Instead, he took a step back and he saw the bigger picture. Rather than get stressed like all the other villagers, he didn't. While this story isn't exactly about God, what if we were to change it and make it about God? Because really, that's how we can ride through the waves of life. What if we focused on God? What if we lived with that focus? And when things, whenever we're faced with either good or bad, instead of looking at ourselves and getting stressed, we turn to God. And we turn to Him first and let Him do something amazing with the situation either way. Because we don't always know God's plans for us. But what would we do when we're so far down the hole of self-focus? I think there are two different things that we can do to stay focused on God. Back to the story of Israel. At this point in their history, in the time of Solomon, uh, here's a picture of the nation of Israel as a country. Um, basically, God had said he was going to rip it apart as a result of Solomon's sin. And so he does that. Right after Solomon dies, he tears the, the, uh, the nation apart. And so in this next picture, you'll see that there's a large portion that's divided. So it's divided into two main countries, and then enemies start to take their land as well. You can see where focus can change a lot. From this point on, things only get worse from Israel, or for Israel. <clears throat> they never go back to what they were before the time of, of David. Both Israel and Judah go through king after king, some bad and others really bad. So God begins to send prophets to try and bring everyone's focus back to God. A clear example of this is the prophet Jeremiah. He was a prophet at the time of the Babylonian exile and had taken over for Israel. Because of Israel's sinfulness, Babylon ended up destroying the temple that Solomon had built and Israel was in a really low spot. Not only did they no longer have a nation that was their own, they also no longer had a king of their own. They no longer had the house of the Lord that they could worship in. So Jeremiah tries to teach the people of Israel about how they lost their focus on God, and thus now they are living under another king's rule. Jeremiah, time and time again, told the Israelites about how God made covenants with them, how he held up his end of the bargain every single time, and how the Israelites failed to. Jeremiah really focused on God and his promises, then called out sin in people's lives. So let's read Jeremiah 17 together. It says, This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out roots to the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I want to be that tree. <laughs> 
The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Here, Jeremiah describes exactly what we're seeing from Solomon's life. Without God, life is a wasteland. Where things just pile up and things seem to only get worse and worse. I mean, look at Solomon. Even he had everything in the world and the world would tell him that that would satisfy him. And yet he ended up dying just like everyone else. And I got to think the last half of his life without God was really sad. Now don't get this confused for a health and wealth message. This is not that. I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to stand here and state that when we're focused on God that everything goes perfect. Because life definitely doesn't and it won't. But like this, the farmer in the story I shared, a life with God, you begin to have a different outlook on things. You begin to see that God is with you in all situations. You begin to experience a peace, a calm, and a sense of relief, knowing that God's got it all in control, no matter how it may seem, or no matter how stressed you may feel. Just like how Jeremiah describes here about the tree, it does not fear when there's a drought. Its leaves are always green, and it never fails to bear fruit. I want my life to be like that tree. When life gets hard, I don't want to get afraid. When the lives of everyone else around me is crumbling, I'm still trusting in God in the toughest of times, and I'm focused on Him instead. So what is a way that we can keep our focus on God? You have to find a prophet in your life. Now, I'm not saying a prophet like uh, somebody who tells the future of your life, but instead a prophet who can recognize when you lose your focus on God. They also have the authority and ability to call you out on your sin and help you refocus your life. Do you have anyone in your life who maybe does this? Maybe it's a spouse, a close friend, a family member, maybe even one of your kids. It takes some guts to do this because you are basically giving that person all authority to evaluate your life and call you on your sin. So find someone and boldly ask them. This is a must do for us as, as Christians. <clears throat> it is one of God's designs for community and family. For example, this is what we hope for in our community groups. In my community group, in particular, feels like a safe space where I could share anything. And I have shared a lot with my group. And everyone in my group has full authority to call me on something they see as a sin. At the same time, they, everyone in my group also knows that it's a two-way street, and I might call them on their sin. Now, if you get asked to be a prophet in someone else's life like this, that you're able to call them on their sin and point them back to God, recognize the humility this takes from someone asking you this. And recognize how important you are to that person, that they would be willing to ask you. And here's the thing about being a prophet. You won't be widely liked, but you will be deeply loved. Maybe you don't feel like someone, you have someone in your life who can do this. And if you don't, that's okay. Start in Scripture. Scripture is a living, breathing book. And I'll be honest, I use Scripture as a way to focus on God, and I'm always convicted of my sin while reading it. Just this past week, writing this message, prepping for it, I was convicted that I haven't been as focused on God as I could be. This message of needing to focus on God and find a prophet and repent of sin 
is as much for me as it is for anyone else. Which brings me to the next point. Stay focused on God by repenting of your sin. This might be the hardest one because if someone in your life calls you on your sin or as you read scripture and you feel that conviction, repenting of sin is a life rhythm that takes a lot of humility. Like David, even though he messed up a lot and in some major ways, he still sought God. He still repented of his sin. He was aware of his sin and his sinfulness, but he didn't wallow in it. He didn't dig himself in that hole. Instead, he turned to God and God was there with him. That's the difference between David and all these other kings that came through Israel's history. The other kings sinned and had too much pride to ever turn back to God and renounce their evil ways. And so whenever a prophet would come to them and tell them, hey, you need to repent, most responded by actually killing that prophet instead of ever repenting. So let's have humility like Solomon did in 1 Kings 3, the first scripture passage we read when he first asked God for wisdom and keep that humility. So we see that we need to stay focused on God. We need to find a prophet in our life and repent of our own sin. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know my life. It's easy for you to say, Mr. Pastor, my life isn't like yours. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. Well, I'll tell you right now, I've screwed up a lot. And no matter what it is that I've experienced, you've experienced, that anyone's experienced, or that you've done or I've done, God's faithfulness is greater every time. Let's read this passage in Jeremiah 31. This is where Jeremiah begins to turn to a positive note about God's faithfulness to his people. He says uh, in Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with your ancestors when I took it, took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they had broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of these to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah is describing this new covenant that God's talking about. And that new covenant is Jesus. This is the best news of all the gospel. God will forgive all of our sins and remember them no more. This is the best news of Christmas. This is what we're setting up in our series here. And I love Christmas. This is my favorite time of year. It's a time of year where songs are sung about Jesus almost everywhere. It's socially acceptable to have a nativity in your yard. It's socially acceptable to go to church this time of year. It's a time of year that there are so many Christological themes and stories and movies and in the event of Christmas itself. But this time of year can also be twisted. It can be full of sin and heartache and difficulty because the focus is no longer on Jesus and his kingship, rather it's on our finances or getting so much stuff that we no longer have a need for God. Or it's about worshiping stuff rather than God who made all stuff possible. This time of year, like many things, can go either way. Just like our lives, as we've described. We can either worship God with our lives, 
with our struggles, with our passions, or we can worship ourselves instead. So let's be a church who focuses on God instead of ourselves, especially this Christmas. Let's focus on God and surround ourselves with people who will help us do exactly that and repent of our sin. Because Jesus will take those sins freely and immediately. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak and would have spoken something to us. Lord, whatever it is that you're working in our lives and our hearts, I pray that it would be clear. Lord, that you help us to take action, to ultimately focus on you in every situation, even the hard ones. Lord, thanks for your, for your word and your scripture that's living and breathing and that we can read it and get different things out of it every time. Lord, and thanks for sending Jesus that we get to be alive in this time of history where Jesus has already come, he's already died for our sins. Lord, and that that gift is a free gift that we can accept anytime. And what, what a better time than to accept it right now, this Christmas season, because of the gift and the other gifts that we're going to be receiving. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would help surround them with great community, and that you would powerfully intercede in their lives, and that they would commit their lives to you, Lord, so that they can spend eternity with you. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Real quick, I want to read this benediction over you this morning. It's from Jude, verse 24. It says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. See you all on Christmas Eve. Have a great week.